Welcome everyone to International Freedom live stream again with Stas Bogdanov from St. Petersburg. We had him several times already on the show and today we get complete new news from Mordor. And yeah. um, welcome Stan, it's a pleasure talking to you. Nice and, to meet um, you all. This Warm time, okay. welcome from our cozy Mordor once yeah. again. And um, just short introduction, uh, Stan works as an IT specialist at the University in St. Petersburg and has international experience in translation at the European Union and is also very well connected to international businesses and has um, quite good knowledge about politic political and economical situations. So thank you so much, Stan. Um, you sent us a picture, a very interesting one, yeah. uh, a very old one, where uh, uh, a Negro children is in the cage, yeah. and uh, two white children are out of the cage, and they smile, and um, the photo is black-white. I think it's a quite old photo. Yeah. Well, basically, when we were arranging this meeting, the most, the hottest topic worldwide uh, other than the artificially pumped and very local events in ukraine was the events in niger yes yes uh and uh well all of a sudden for those who don't know even the most recent history another african country in close proximity of a couple of countries that has similar events in the last year and the last but one year, decided to overthrow the pro-American government mm -hmm. and uh, made an attempt to improve the situation in the country for the sake of their own citizens. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a hot topic then. That's why in preparation for possible coverage, I dug up some info on the internet. And I came across this picture, which uh, basically illustrates, well, there are two points uh, if we start considering the situation in Niger. Uh, point one, it's the third event in a row in this very region but uh, on contrast with the previous two, it created much more buzz in international press. Compared to what we've heard about a week ago, the previous ones went almost unnoticed. The question is why? And the second question, in general, covering all those three regions and reaction of uh, as they term it, the global south, to what's going on around the conflict between, uh, let's put it blank, uh, Russia and uh, America and its satellites that is right now concentrated around Ukraine. How come that the global south ended up rather on Russian side than on the other side? This and to illustrate the second point, I 
dug up for that picture. But uh, to start with, I would like to touch upon point number one. Why the fuss? Uh, for me, the answer is pretty obvious. As distinct from our uh, from a couple of previous occasions, nigger is paramount to first and foremost European interests and then American interests uh, due to the fact that nigger is a transit territory of a pipeline that can theoretically replace the recently blown Nord Stream in providing European Union with cheap gas. Now with those events in Niger, the guarantee that this plan would work as intended is not as sound and uh, European Union and maybe United States. Uh, there are uh, some other specifics related to uh, relations between uh, United States and European Union and who wants what. But that was the reliable and ultimate source of gas supply for the European Union for the upcoming winter and further on. Provided that Russian gas is out of the market. Now this plan got in danger. That's the reason for the fuss number one. The reason for the fuss number two is uranium. Niger is exactly the country that can theoretically replace uh, uranium supp uh, supplies from Russia worldwide if it remains loyal to those who control the market. If they start pursuing their own interest, then the idea of kicking Russia out of worldwide uranium market and replacing it with uh, uranium from Niger can be in danger too. That's the reason for that first number one. Uh, number one. Uh, as for the picture, I hope that our viewers will be able to see it. Uh, the picture was taken in the year of 1955, which means 10 years past the end of the Second World War. And the white girls on the picture, they are from Belgium, the capital of European Union. Based on the date of this photo, the girls might well be still alive. They ought to be about the same age as my parents, who are thankfully still alive, about 75 or maybe 73 years old. Not sure exactly. What is peculiar about that picture? It was not the period when you, well, should anything you find fancy, then you delete it if you think it's not too appropriate, uh, and uh, then it's gone and gone, unless you were dumb enough to put it out online. Those days, Making photos for family album meant that your parents approve of what this picture will contain. 
because basically what they will be doing, they will be sharing it with their family friends and looking at their reaction. They're going to be feeling proud of what their kids are doing. And the parents of those girls, they were thinking it absolutely right to treat the black boy as a pet for the girls. Not like a human being, but as a pet. In the best occasion. Then we should keep in mind that as far as I remember the recent uh, researches on the topic, uh, you know, it happens so that my wife has two kids and I have none. Uh, that doesn't prevent me from uh, having a grandson who is currently with our family and I'm very happy with it. Uh, but about five to six years ago, we were thinking, because I'm not that young, and I was not that young five years ago, and neither was she, we were thinking about orphaning a child, and we were attending special courses, we were reading special literature, uh, and uh, while doing that, I came across some researchers that basically claimed that around the age of five, more or less, the kid gets general impression of what's right and what's wrong. And uh, it's very difficult because it's, uh, he gets it basically on the level of its spine, not the brain. You can brainwash him. You can uh, bend him. You can make him abide the rules that he's not feeling comfortable with, be it out of fear, be it out of uh, some uh, 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 career uh, plans and ideas. But deep within, if he needs to make a choice of what's right and what's wrong, what's good and what's bad, what is acceptable and what is not, he will most likely use the imprint that he got by the age of five. And he will act accordingly. And looking at this picture, the girls are now, or should be now, at about the age of 75. They grew up treating black people in Africa, in former colonies, as pets at the very best. It might have been beloved pet. It might have been a naughty pet. It was a pet for them. And they got it imprinted on a very deep level. And they, and then, they got their own kids. And when teaching them what's right and what's wrong, they couldn't help but sometimes showing them the traces of that very imprint. And if they are, or they should have been, around 75, that means that their kids are about as old as I am now, around 50. 
And basically, that's the age of the ruling class, at least those that we are seeing now. Macron. Schultz is a bit older, but it still falls into the same category. The guys from Brussels, from Netherlands, you name it. Basically, that's the origin. That's the soil that the current politicians, the ones we see on the screen, there are some behind the screen. I, they might be way older, but the ones we are seeing, they are kids of those who were proudly photographed by their parents while they were treating people from Africa as pets. And that, in my opinion, is the answer. Why having overthrown pro-American governments, the common folks on the streets of Niger can be seen showing Russian flags. And why any attempts of uh, French authorities or American authorities to get in negotiations uh, and explain what people of Niger should be doing to avoid the wrath of Western community or receive the reaction that they receive. And speaking about treating as pets, if you take a look at how United States, or Brussels for that matter, behaves towards uh, current Niger authorities, not the overthrown one, but the current ones. Uh, they talk in the same way with Russia. They talk in the same way with many other countries. I believe somewhere behind the scenes, they talk the same way to Germany, France, you name it. You must do this and that. Otherwise, you'll be punished. That's the way you treat naughty pet. That's not the way you treat an equal. That's not the way you treat the human being that deserves respect. And we've been talking about respect during my very first appearance of this show. And I tend to try and draw this word from uh, all of our conversations. So that's where this picture came from. And that's what I expected to illustrate using it. It's so, up to you whether we'll agree or not. But that's my viewpoint of what had happened in that part of the world during the days we, we were talking about organizing another meeting. But why do you think that this generation, which comes out of these kind of families, are now bringing all the Africans to, to the Europe? Uh, couple of things, a couple of thoughts about that. Uh, 
Number one, uh, they think, and uh, they are only partly right, that uh, during elections, uh, those people are way easier to control. You give them welfare, they do what you expect from them. During the election itself, it's pretty easy. Here's your carrot. Be a good pony. And it works. This part mostly works. But there's another part. They are securing uh, the result they look for during the nearest election during the upcoming one but there's a downside they are not ready to fully incorporate those people they and not only they uh, it also has to do with the common folk uh correct me if i'm wrong but i don't believe that if you live in a certain neighborhood you would be totally happy if the, the if half of your neighbors will get replaced for those people who migrated from South Africa, Central Africa, Arabian countries. You won't feel comfortable. You will, uh, and it's natural. It's not your fault. You will feel that they are alien to you in their habits, in their traditions, even in their language. They bring them in and they don't speak the language of the country they come to. It will cause certain discomfort to you. And that's why the authorities to secure your voices during the upcoming election. They are trying to separate them from the original inhabitants. That's basically where getters come from. But while it resolves, but while it resolves the immediate issue with the potential conflict, you are getting into the situation. Well, it's uh, abundant in France as of late, where. Uh, whole districts in Paris and Marseilles, in many other cities, where even police officers are afraid to go at night or even during daytime. Because they live by their own rules. They listen to their own authorities only. They don't care about the laws and traditions of the country or Here's the little devil in personalization. <laughs> Not only the grandson, but his cat too. Uh, and they live into their, in their separate world. Authorities don't want to mess with it. Authorities don't want to integrate them. And that's the... Potential cost of a very drastic delayed blast because uh, 
if those people, for some reason, get angry, either because the ability of authorities to provide them what they want using that welfare diminishes, or potentially some very friendly country that recently has left European Union and has very widespread network of uh, political and intelligence uh, infiltration worldwide since 17th century or even earlier, decides that, say, Germany doesn't need to be that attractive and maybe European Union or whatever it might transfer into should have another leader across La Manche. If they decide to pull some triggers that they definitely have and make those people revolt, I believe the authorities will be, let's say, in deep surprise and short of resources to handle this situation. So, so there are two reasons. They are trying to resolve their short-term goals, and I believe there are others behind the scene who have some long-term goals, who have, uh, who want to have an argument so that whenever any contradiction between France and those people, opposition of Germany and position of Jewish people, if any contradiction arises, they do have a joker behind the sleeve, those people who are ready and willing to take out the knives, and go on doing what they've been doing, say, in Colon about five years ago during the Christmas night. And no one even bothered to step in and enforce an order and name the guilty. That's how I see it. I might be wrong, but at least it looks logical. Okay, before I, before I give it to Roy, so we talk about um, the the classical destabilization, uh, no, demoralization, destabilization, crisis, and normalization. And uh, so we can establish, for example, in Germany, the potential destabilization in a large scale. Yeah. And in France. And in, in Europe. Yeah. Uh, like... Basically, there's no need to deal with entire Europe. Uh, for me, uh, it's as easy as that. Uh, United States uh, is the descending empire at the moment. They used to control half of the world after the World War II. But during that time, uh, they had about 52 percent of overall world economy 
located in the United States exclusively. There was no globalization at that time. And they had enough resources to enforce their will and uh, ensure their control on half of the globe. The other half was under the Soviet Union. Starting 1991, there's no Soviet Union. And the United States have been trying to control the entire globe. But at the moment, they don't have 52% of the world economy. They don't even have 30. It may be their actual share, not the figures drawn by major agencies, but the, the real economy. It might even be below 20. It's not enough to control the globe. Which means that the situation will change and uh, there ought to be several centers of power. But do you know, oh, we always hear uh, the term great country. So America is a great country, that goes without saying. Now they uh, state that China is a great country. Some say, and I agree with that, that Russia is a great country, uh, and the Soviet Union, no doubt, it was a great country. But the actual definition behind, behind those words for uh, United States and for Soviet Union was absolutely different. In terms of United States doctrine, during the previous century, and it uh, still remains like that, was that the great country is the country that can order everyone what to do and make sure that the orders are obeyed. In uh, the point of view of Soviet Union and modern China, the great country is the country no one could tell what to do. That's the country that has a will and the way to go its own direction. And no one can change that. Uh, so in terms of uh, United States, they want to remain the great country. And to do it in their understanding, there's only one possible option. They basically need to reclaim that 50 plus share of the world economy. Right now, it, uh, right now it's not theirs. And I believe that theoretically, I don't believe it's possible practically, but theoretically, there's only one way to do it. They need to reindustrialize their own economy. Maybe not within the United States. Maybe that's the reason that AUKUS showed up. Because basically to make the uh, totally independent uh, macroeconomical cluster, you need about half a billion population. United States doesn't have it. Maybe they opt to reindustrialize that AUKUS. That gives about the amount of people required. But they are not industrialized at the moment. Uh, 
just like Russia. Russia is only partially industrialized. We have good defense plants. That part is covered. But when we are talking about just normal false consumption, there are problems and it will take time to get to level required. Besides, we need allies. So economically, uh, Russia is not too far ahead of the United States and uh, not the greatest threat. Before the year 2022, there were only two regions in the world that were far ahead of the United States in terms of industry. It was European Union with Germany as a key country for industrial potential. And it was and is China. During that crisis that is now pinpointed in Ukraine, but Ukraine is just a tool in the place. Our American partners, in my opinion, have already resolved the issue with European Union. They destroyed European economy and they bought themselves time enough to get ahead because if they are on track, Europe needs to try and start getting out of those ruins if they will be too successful. There come the people from Africa and other non-stable regions to slow them down and cause them problems. So the main targets at the moment should be China. It's going to be way more trickier than Europe because uh, China plays a significant role on American markets. But if they want to remain one and only, I don't see any other option with them, or for them. They need to somehow bring Chinese economy down. And uh, as per mine, and those are not only mine estimates, in order to do so, the only option they have is to abandon all their efforts in Europe, in Africa. And when I mean Europe, I do not only mean that poor little Ukraine. I mean all the NATO countries, without exception. If they are not already members of AUKUS, they need to drop it all and use all the resources they will be able to pull up as a result against China. Whether they will succeed or not, I have no idea yet. But if they want to adhere to their current uh, concept of a great country and remain in this concept. That's their only choice. For the moment, however, 
And again, it's just my viewpoint. Uh, they have pretty little chance of success because uh, I think that current president and his family have a very personal interest in situation around Ukraine. It may be, it may have something to do with Hunter and his Burisma career or whatever. And who knows what other documents can be pulled up if uh, people with a different view, different loyalties uh, became power in Ukraine and get access to all the files and archives. But as I see the situation now, as a president of the United States, if he wants to, or was it not him who wanted to make America great again? No. If someone wants to make America great again, he should drop that and concentrate on China. But if someone wants to minimize troubles for Biden family and uh, some other people behind the scene he acts a frontman for, they need to keep making sure that situation in Ukraine remains as it is for as long as possible. And there's no compromise. And in terms of American interest, in my opinion, they're playing the wrong card. Also, we'll see it pretty soon. I believe that uh, it will be too late for them to switch priorities and succeed uh, in under a year. And uh, maybe in a couple of years, it will become plainly evident of uh, where the situation goes worldwide and who remains on top. Brilliant, thank, uh, brilliant stuff. Thank you so much. I pass it to Ryan. Brilliant. Thanks. Thanks, Hartman. Great to get you back again, Stan. Um, like, there's a lot of different things that you've been discussing, and like with like what we started off with with the black child in the cage. Like, I'm not sure you're aware, but the first slaves were actually Irish, sold by the English to the black people. So it's like the different things that are going on. And if we look at the Congo, like Belgium, which you mentioned as well, like with the rubber and everything, they used to chop off the people's hands. Yeah, but they... uh, the picture is actually from Belgium, Congo. Yeah. So if they didn't get the required amount of rubber, they were chopping them off their hands. And now in the Congo as well, it's like the cobalt. And I have seen the mines where you have children working, young kids with little babies on their back, bringing, breeding in all these toxins and it's like they're just raping the nation. And what I've seen is like debt forgiveness from Russia. So I like I see whereas the rest of Europe and America have always been raping and pillaging Africa, which should be the richest nation in the world. But it's actually the opposite. But like, no, I think they believe they can see that Russia has got their back. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh I don't exactly understand uh, 
why this happened with uh, Belgium or France. Uh, for British and Russian, uh, the difference in tradition is basically very simple. Historically, there are two types of empire. An inland empire, like Rome, or Russia, or the naval empire, like Carthago in the early history, or British Empire, or now the American Empire. Uh, when you're in naval empire, uh, the center, the very core, is isolated uh, from the colonies, and basically you can get there, they can't get to you. You feel protected. You feel free to rob them without fearing some uh, retribution. When you are an inland empire, the uh, way to interact with uh, new territories is very different. You do enforce your laws. You do enforce your tradition. You might or might not even enforce your religion. We in Russia do not, but uh, previously in history there were uh, situations when the uh, religion of the Empire Heartland was enforced onto new territories. But you cannot treat those people as lower class. On the contrary, you must make them part of your organism. Basically, if you have some local influential chieftains, you cannot say them just you robbing your people in our favor and we grant you protection from them. No. You have to bring them into... Um, the empire elites level. You need to show them that becoming a part of empire, you can attain greater power, greater authority. And looking at those local chieftains who get more option, more influence, uh, more honor, not because they can... Uh, blindfoldedly uh, rob their own subjects uh, uh, much tougher than they used to. But because new opportunities are provided uh, if you become one and the same with the Empire Heartland. Those are two different approaches. And we've been evolving in the second one. So whenever Russia came into new territories, then the influential people from them were invited in the capital. They have been granted titles. They have been granted positions. They have been allowed to feel bigger than being local chieftains and in their own land. And those people and their kids absorbed the idea that only by being something bigger, you know, uh, 
it was somewhere around 40th when uh, when some Western journalists uh, came for an interview with Joseph uh, Stalin. And during the interview, he started his question with, well, you are a Georgian, and let me, Stalin interrupted and said to him, no, you are wrong. I am Russian of Georgian nationality. That's the attitude that is typical for, for successful continental empires. That the attitude that have been uh, typical for our civilization since, I dare say, 14th century, maybe even earlier, you can be any nationality. But first and foremost, if you feel part of that empire or civilization or culture, first and foremost, you are Russian. And then you are Jew, Georgian, Chechen, or whatever you make it. And uh, that's the reason we treat those people the way we are. We treat them as people, not as pets or subjects or cheap labor force. And we do understand that first and foremost, they need food. And we are ready to give them food, even for free. We do know that people are grateful. We know that once they can, they will want to express their gratitude. And working together, we know that we will be able to find some way that will allow them to feel that they have repaid. And on the other hand, it will not sponge them out dry. It might even provide them with uh, new possibilities. Like, for example, uh, after that dead excuse and that free food supply, there may be joint project that will allow us to get some profits uh, from building, say, power generation station. Like, well, there's still uh, lots of uh, uh, power supply construction that uh, Soviet Union built in Egypt, and they are still working. They're on the Nile River. For some other Africa districts, it could be... Well, other sources, maybe some nuclear plants, whatever. And uh, we will be able to make money from those projects and to compensate the possible losses for giving out food for free now.
But on the other hand, the people in those countries will get working places. They will have specialists trained to take care of those plants that will bring up their education level. Those people would have to get decent payments uh, to just uh, make them work well and keep all this up and running flawlessly, uh, flawlessly. and uh, they will get the power which they can use to push forward their economy and their development. So we always think that why I keep talking about respect. You can keep sponging people out dry, but sooner or later, there will be nothing left. Or sooner or later, the one you are sponging will try to retaliate. And I believe that's what we are looking at uh, when we're considering the situation in Niger. But in our tradition, in traditional respects, we are ready to help. We are ready to negotiate. We are ready to discuss. We are ready to take into account your viewpoints, your traditions. And for as long as you haven't proven yourself totally incapable of keeping your promise, we and, Russians and just, will just, also just be looking that, like, for because. In, in Africa, it's broken into, I, I don't know how many countries are inside in Africa, but I know that, like, even if you read Confessions of an Economic Hitman, how the Americans go in, they take over countries, and, like, there's different parts of Africa are obviously, you know, still controlled by the Americans. They've got their, like, their puppets in there, and I, I'm look, I think it's in South Africa at the moment. Like, the leader, it was, like, in a massive stadium, and they're chanting, kill the farmers and everything. It was, like, a massive cult, and to see something like that, if that was anyone else, they'd be shut down, but there's nothing said about it. And like, that's dangerous to see that kind of carry on where you've got a leader motivating people to murder. Yeah, but well, basically, if you take a close look of what has been happening in Ukraine since 1914, it's exactly the same picture. For you, it might not be that obvious because well both south africa and ukraine they're pretty far away but for us ukraine is just a couple steps across the border and we've been seeing that since uh uh 2014. so it's no wonder that uh, under American guidance, similar things are occurring in uh, South Africa. But we have very similar situation, which is a much bigger problem for us because point one, it's right next door to us. And number two, if, uh, as you say, uh, in South Africa, they chant and kill the farmers. 
in Ukraine, they're chanting kill the Russians. So I can't argue with that. It is horrible, but it's not only Africa. They've been trying to do the same in Georgia back in 2008. Uh, they keep pursuing the similar views uh, in uh, former Soviet uh, Baltic republics, Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia. They are trying to do the same thing in Moldova now. That's quite typical for British politics. And now the British politics is uh, mostly followed by United States because someday the roles ended up switched and when British uh, Empire collapsed United States took the banner but the methods and the attitude and the views they, they remain pretty traditional for the British Empire in my opinion Moist because I remember when there was problems with Belarus, Poland was putting up metal barricades and hosing down the people, letting nobody in. Ukraine situation happens. Hey, come on now. Like, what's the difference? Because I know someone from Belarus and I know the situation there is actually terrible. And like, what's what's it? You kind of just like yeah, the story from your side on that situation and like it looks like Poland has been the pony show they're using Poland which we should have fantastic relations with Russia but they're, they're looking like making Poland be the, the fool in this battle uh, you know uh, Poland is a difficult topic for me uh, on one hand one-eighth of my blood, is my family legends are true, is Polish. On the other hand, uh, uh, my great-grandfather, who, to the best of my knowledge, was born in a Polish family, he was starving to death thanks to his Polish neighbors and thanks to his parents' Polish employees. And his parents died from hunger. And he and his sister were saved by Russian neighbors or family friends. Uh, that's not quite clear. And those people adopted two little Polish kids at the age of starvation as their own, gave them their family name, gave them Russian names, gave them brilliant education. My grand -grand uh, great-grandfather uh, was an engineer, and uh, I believe you can imagine what an engineer meant at the age of 19th and 20th century. He knew foreign languages. He was basically supervising on himself construction of several industrial plants at the different uh, sides of Russian empire. My grandfather was born when he was supervising the plant construction 
in the city of Revel, a Russian empire, which is now called Tallinn and the capital of Estonia. And his junior brother, who died during uh, the war, uh, was born in Kazan, and he was building another plant in Kazan those days. And uh, this has become possible only because a Russian family have taken a look on two somewhat familiar Polish kids at the age of dying from starvation and adopted them as their own, making no difference with their kin and with their own blood. And Polish neighbors, Polish relatives, and all the others who surrounded my grandfather's family, they felt pretty comfortable letting another couple of adults and a couple of little kids starve to death. Doesn't matter. And I believe that's where the problem with uh, Polish people and uh, Polish politics lies. You know, it's not uncommon uh, historically that uh, the ruling class, the military elites, and the common populace, say the peasants, if we mean the Middle Ages, they are not on the same nation. Because, well, in Russia, the dynasty presumably had uh, Danish origin when we talk about Rurik's uh, line. And then afterwards, our rulers were mostly related to Germany. In the uh, United Kingdom, uh, for quite a while, uh, the ruling families were from Denmark first and then from Normandy. So basically the elites and the uh, common folk, uh, they were technically uh, two different nations, well, not nations. Let me put it tribes, because basically nation is the term that comes together with capitalism. Before that, the situation is a little bit different, but they were from different roots, from different origins. But it happened so that uh, in uh, Russia, after, the, after we adopted Christianity, the rulers were more akin to associate themselves with the majority of people and were trying to share their values or at least to pretend that they do share their values to guarantee the people's support. In uh, the countries who adopted Catholicism, generally, 
not always, but generally, and it's clearly seen in Poland. The feudal elites, they felt the upper class. And all the others were just the dirt under the hooves of their horses. And they still keep treating their neighbors and even some of their own kin with the same ignorance. And I believe it's that historical uh, heritage that has led to division of Polish states previously and might as well lead to another division of current Polish states in the near future. Because basically, as far as I know, uh, common folks uh, in Poland are not as uh, opposed to Russians or Belarus people as they used to be about 10 to 15 years ago. But the ruling class became way more aggressive during the same period of time. So in my opinion, at this point of uh, Polish society development, the common folk and the current ruling authorities are straying apart. And if it breaks, there can be quite different uh, times for Poland, uh, especially considering how deeply it got involved in that conflict between uh, uh, my country and NATO. It may end up really bad for, I don't, I won't feel sorry about the ruling ones. But despite the family story I've just told you, and never told that before in public, I still have some sympathy for the common folks that might suffer in the result because, well, nothing can be done. About one eighth of my blood has Polish origins if the family legend is true. And just finally, this is the complete tangent now, but I'd love your thought process on this before I pass it to Grace. With the fires in Hawaii, I mean, I've seen a lot of stuff on that. It's even books that were written before the fires were ended. I posted something on that the other day that there was like five books that have already been written. And I've went through the process with Amazon. It takes a long time to get approved. Are the Americans just showing their new weaponry to scare the Russians? Or what's your thoughts on that? Uh, I believe it's much easier than that. Uh, I believe it's uh, it has about the same origin as uh, a lot of uh, accidents uh, uh, on the railroads. 
that we can uh, hear about from the United States uh, in the last few years. The problem is that uh, when we talk about uh, market economy and capitalism and uh, all that, especially when we're talking about the financial stage, when uh, you can make uh, fast and easy money uh, doing some uh, speculations on stock exchange and uh, any long-term investments that uh, may or may not yield your profit in, say, 5, 10, 15, 20 years. They are not as... Uh, profitable, they are not as uh, guaranteed, they are not as lucrative. That's why they're not attractive. And the least lucrative and least attractive investments are those that are made into infrastructure. Basically, what was the problem with that uh, old COVID fuss? It's not feasible to keep uh, to finance a place at the personnel in the hospital if that particular bed or and this particular nurse does not generate a certain monthly income you better cut it down if something like covid shows up with such attitude you end up short of nurses you end up short of hospitals and you end up looking at people die and no way to help them. That's basically the healthcare infrastructure. There's a railway infrastructure. You need to invest into it without thinking about immediate profit or even mid-term profit. You need to think long-term. It should be upkept to avoid such accidents in 20, 50, 100 years. You need to spend money without guarantee you're getting something in return. And it's all the same with uh, fire prevention. For this system to work, it needs to be invested into. Uh, we don't have ideal situation here. We do have uh, a lot of uh, natural and not so natural fires all across our country uh, during summer times, especially when it's hot. But it's being taken care of with uh, far less casualties. And especially before this whole mess started in Ukraine, if you take a look at the similar disasters in neighboring countries, including Europe, usually the first country they applied for help in dealing with the natural fires was Russia. Because we had a good heritage from Soviet times, we have managed to preserve it, at least part of it, during... 30 years after the Soviet Union collapse. And recently, we, our government was making a great effort to restore this infrastructure to the level we used to have. 
And in the United States, I have a feeling that nobody really cares about it. And uh, as for uh, the new weapon to make an impression, uh, you know, uh, back in nineties. Uh, here we had a situation pretty similar to, let's say, Chicago in 30s, when the, a lot of people tried to fill the vacuum and uh, became important and uh, never valued other people's life. It was a huge redistribution of uh, uh, powers, of uh, financial sources and whatnot. And uh, I've seen my share of street fights for small money, for big money. Uh, and I've learned the simple rule. If you have a gang, in front of you. There's only one way to provide the impression. Uh, you don't need to attack the leader right up front. If you are weaker, then you are finished. You don't need just to start pulling your guns, showing uh, them or uh, shooting in the air. You need to target one pretty close, but non-critical member of the opposing gang and bring him down immediately. That's the only way to provide an impression. So basically what it means if we return to politics, If, say, we would like to provide an impression on United States authority and make them take us seriously, if that's our only goal, I believe the only the most efficient, maybe the only way, is to nuke down UK. So that no one will ever guess in, say, 50 years that something even existed and there was island where it used to be. For United States, if we uh, take at the situation from the same viewpoint. The only way to actually provide impression, not just shooting in the air or saying blubber, who may what no, you know that. The only way to provide impression and prove that they are serious is to attack Belarus, and I believe that. Recent 
placement of some of our strategic nuclear weapons onto Belarus territory was meant to discourage whoever thinks along the same line from even considering this option. And trying to tie it with some fires on Hawaii ain't buying that. Okay. Oh, perfect. Thank you very much, Stan. I'll pass you off to Grace. Once again, it's only my opinion. It has nothing to do with political <laughs> use of our Supreme Commander. <laughs> but I believe that. Nevertheless, you are one of our best guests because you bring a lot of um, your, your thoughts, alternative views from the Mordor in many angles. So we thank you for that, okay? Because yeah. I, I, I was paying attention there and it is true that for an empire, they have to make sure they can control the culture or they can shift the culture to their culture, their perceptions and then, or, you know, and make all the chieftains. So talking about the chieftains, but from like from the Philippine historical point of view, we did have chieftains, but it may be a different chieftains that what people think in relationship to being in control, just as I'm learning that there's many kinds of capitalism, there's many kinds of socialism. So when we just use one word like, you know, like blank in just a blank description of something, you know, I know some of my people might get offended. Hey, we may have chieftains, but they weren't really like, they were still sovereign. So let me bring that back to the sovereign concept. So when you said that the British Empire, finally, when it, you know, they're, they, they no longer or, or they're down and it became now the American Empire. I think they're still the one in power. They just found the American empire or the Amer right now the West the, as their main proxy, their, their main puppet to use. It. So, but it's still that British empire that the oligarch that we had known from before. So isn't that interesting? So and let me ask you in, in, in connection to this about the BRICS. What do you think, what, what would be Russia's stand or the, the, the ones in BRICS, the, the, uh, Brazil, Russia, India, uh, China, and South America? What do you know of their conversation? What if other countries like you know, France would start, you know, giving like their interest that they want to be part of the BRICS. What, do you think they should be given a chance? Because it seems like every country has their own time and space that they, they were great ones. They weren't evil. That's what I want to believe. <laughs> they, they were once good, you know, but then eventually they just became so greedy and like really became a puppet. So do you think the non-BRIC members is those who have controlled a lot of countries in Africa, should they be given a chance to be part of BRICS? Uh, uh, let me put it like that. 
basically uh, for the countries that are currently parts of the European Union and or NATO, there is currently no place in BRICS. Uh, BRICS uh, has a potential to become an alternative uh, pool to that pro-American, pro-NATO, and European Union is part of that block. Uh, alternative pool in the new world. Uh, at the moment, uh, BRICS is somewhat akin to G20. So at the moment, it's basically a club. But this particular club, well, South Africa possibly excluded because uh, as far as I know, there are plans to try and bring it into AUKUS. And we'll wait and see how the situation evolves. But all the countries uh, that are currently BRICS members, they are trying to proof, preserve, and develop their sovereignty. French has shown no steps towards this approach. So at the moment, I don't see any place for France and BRICS. Uh, last time I checked, and it was the day before yesterday, we currently have about 28 applications from potential BRICS members. Uh, I see a problem here. Uh, while, it's, uh, while it may be flattering that uh, a lot of countries want to join the club, we need to be aware of uh, where it might take the entire organization. Because basically, in my opinion, a problem with European Union have started back in 90s uh, when they started accepting uh, former Warsaw Pact and former Soviet Union republics without really bothering if they truly fit the requirements okay. of European Union just to gain more weight without thinking about consequences. And I believe that was fatal mistake that uh, led the European Union to where it is now and keeps leading them towards collapse. Uh, I hope that the countries that have a say at BRICS development would not repeat the same mistake. And I believe that at the moment uh, we have a few applicants that uh, are sovereign enough and uh, who are willing to uh, fight for their place in a post-colonial world and who have uh, the potential to back up this willingness. So, for example, I believe that uh, out of those interested uh, say, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, mm -hmm. Iraq, 
and definitely Belarus. They are basically ready to be accepted as a full-fledged members. But the other countries uh, who express the interest, they should be provided with a crystal clear roadmap. Because, well, basically, if we uh, uh, start accepting just anyone, it will end up, uh, as, say, the League of Nations ended up which uh, after the First World War, it was a predecessor of United Nation, but uh, it was not the, an actual working mechanism. It uh, pretty soon degraded to basically the club for some VIPs to meet, to chat, to drink, and get the nil results at the end of it. Uh, so if we want to have some uh, working mechanism who uh, will provide an alternate view, uh, an alternate platform, an alternate opportunity for those who want to develop in the interests of their own people in uh, a post-colonial world, uh, then BRICS uh, should be uh, way more picky than European Union was 30 years ago while accepting mm -hmm. new members. And uh, those members should be ready and uh, willing to fight for their sovereignty, to provide their sovereignty, to sustain their sovereignty, and to develop their sovereignty. And between Macron and France, well, what has Macron in common with sovereignty of France? In my book, nothing. So no, I not to interrupt you, but I am. I mean, I I like what you're saying, and because it makes so much sense that you know the BRICS, the, the decision makers, should really be cautious and really see that everyone has the same intention for whatever good intention would that would be for their nations. And it's kind of like a relationships, right? You just don't bring anyone to your life if you don't know that you have the same common goal or in agreement, same value. So that's how I always look at it in bigger nations as well. So I, I, and and it does. I am excited when um, what's happening in Africa is happening now, and not because I have investment for the war, international um, war weapon. If there is worse, but it's about time that African nations who can come together, African nations come together and really reclaim their sovereignty and and stand. When you made a point that America can reclaim the power that you said it needs more power because now it's just something or even less. But before they can do that, they really have to really own it 
the power that you, you mentioned that no one could tell you what you should be doing for your own self or for your own people. Until then, the America will not be able to, you know, start recovering on things. So, and uh, so a a anyway, uh, I know that, you know, it's up to you and it's up to Roy and Hartmut how long we will have this conversation, but if, if you feel free to, is you know, what's your, if you have anything more that you wanted to share to us. Oh, but I want to share when you said street fight, okay? Now I just started learning street fight because I think people should learn street fight because you just never know what might happen in every community, in every nation, because things become difficult. So you said when the gun is pointed at you or any fight, one thing I learned, stand offset. <laughs> you don't meet the opponent face to face. You make an offset. And you could make an offset. And if you're doing to protect yourself, have another move to defend yourself. So that's what I learned lately. And yeah, I'm happy to be definitely. Uh, you don't always need to go uh, face to face with your guns drawn, but uh the problem is uh united states was basically born of them cowboys proving their rights with their guns it's in the in their blood to the best to the worst it's in their blood and uh, you can make an offset if you don't plan to retain control of some territory or store or a plant or whatever you claimed to be yours for many years if you felt like a boss if you were the boss and if some confronts you you'll have to show up and you'll have to draw your gun otherwise no one will any longer uh, believe that you are still in control on that territory uh, and in these terms uh, when we are, are using such allegories america is basically a cornered rat they claim they control the entire world. If they want to keep claiming that they are the bosses, they have no option to step aside. They, well, theoretically it is possible, but in their minds, at least in the minds of those who now surrounds the current president, uh, I believe that stepping aside almost anywhere is the total loss of the faith. And uh, that's basically the end of the story. You were a godfather, you stepped aside, you're just another Jew. That's the dilemma in their heads. I know that we, not being godfathers, uh, can have uh, 
a different viewpoints uh, can offer a different scenarios but if you were a mafia boss for 50 years then stepping aside is not an option for you i believe well, and that's the big problem with america i'm not aiming to be a yeah and then and then when you did emphasize again about staying close yeah you stay close to your enemy so they say right that <laughs> you have more chance but never never go down because when you're down you're down and everyone else will bring you you know yeah. pin you so no matter what you stay upset that. so thank you very much by the Any way other, by I, the way I, by the way uh, before we close, uh, and that's another good illustration of a difference in mentality. Uh, even back in USSR, uh, in the late USSR, uh, there were such thing uh, as a street wise, uh, street fights between teenagers for just that's our districts, and the girls who live in our house are our girls, and you have no right to walk them home and all that crap. And I've been through it too. But there was one thing. If you uh, walk your girlfriend home to another district and there are four to five guys waiting for you here to explain you that you are wrong and you have no right to be here to do it, in Soviet Union, in 1989, number one, they waited for you to walk her home and then go back on the street. They never attacked you while you were with a girlfriend. Point two, it was an armed fight, fair and square, only if you pulled out something they were resorting to similar weaponry, unarmed only. And number three, if you are fighting nobly, then you go down and it stops. They never kick you lying on the ground. If you lay down to avoid the fight, then you got your deal. That's the mentality that was here. And I do know that in the United States, it's a different story. You go down, you're dead. Oh, sorry. I remember I have one more question. See, you are you are there, you're Russian, and and we are in we are in agreement with what you've shared. I wonder if you you end up meeting another Russian. And it, it's totally different views, because I think in every place there's two or more opinion, opinions. How do you handle that? Uh, you know, there are people with uh, different views. Uh, uh, basically, uh, 
I do know and or I used to know some people who uh, do not fit into my view of what a man should do, of what a Russian should do. Uh, if it does not impose if the actions or um, the views uh, do not impose uh, an immediate threat to my family or my country, I just part ways with such person and um, he is no longer a part of my life. Uh, if his views uh, at a certain moment or at a certain place uh, puts uh, under threat the life or health or well-being of those who are close and dear to me, it's my duty to step up and defend them. Well, to illustrate the first uh, situation, you know, I had a very close friend of mine. Uh, we've studied together since uh, 1987 uh, for eight years. Uh, then we were friends till uh, about 10 years ago. Uh, and 10 years ago, uh, uh, he was... Uh, a meeting with a lady who had two kids from the previous marriage and those kids uh, even called him a dad and uh, he was consulting with me on whether he can uh, whether he should accept uh, their desire to call him a father or no and uh, I remember that I said to him this time well it's up to you to decide but uh, uh, basically, that's uh, a very important decision because uh, you had a lot of girlfriends in your life and uh, you can decide to part ways with this particular one at any time. But if you tell her kids that uh, you are their father and they are your children, then it will be a totally different story. You can't just kiss her girl, your girlfriend goodbye if previously you have allowed her kids that are not yours by blood to call you and uh, accept you as their father. That's a different story and a different uh, uh, degree of um, duty. And... Uh, couple of years after that talk, um, I had some financial problems those days. I've been between jobs and uh, doing some uh, just uh, daily translations or whatever from time to time. When I was so easy times, and he called to me and said that um, uh, he was introduced into some banking scheme that allowed to... Uh, uh, make quite good money pretty quick, uh, no risk, 
some initial investment and no big problem. Uh, and he offered me to become a part of that scheme. I have consulted uh, with my own contracts and I've learned that uh, it used to be a working scheme. Uh, it was closing those days uh, because we've uh, started introducing our own payment system uh, and uh, uh, it was the moment when the communication between banks and authorities was uh, coming up onto a different level. So it was the scheme that was getting obsolete and uh, basically that's the only reason he managed to squeeze in and have the first uh, successful transaction. Uh, it was about uh, to close and just it was a matter of weeks. And I called him back and uh, thank him for the offer and I provided him all the information uh, that I learned and said that uh, I will not be taking part and urged him to avoid doing this. And uh, on the very next day, he took the girlfriend, he visited 10 banks, took 10 big credits, signing her as uh, his guarant. The girl was dumb enough to put her signature. And uh, in another day, he just disappeared to a different town. I have not spoken with him since, and I never will. In my world, this is unacceptable. Had he not known it from me, I might have had any doubts. But in my world, he is not Russian. He is no longer a man. And um, and he was my closest friend for quite a few years. Now he's out of my life. And um, that's an illustration on how I do react if in uh, certain key matters uh, my viewpoint difference with a uh, difference with. Uh, viewpoint of the others. If it's some mundane rap about a favorite soccer club or whatever, well, it doesn't mean anything, but in bigger things. Thanks a lot for sharing that anyway. I know it might be difficult for you to remember that again, but we thank, I thank you. Now, do you want uh, us to encourage our um, viewers that if you have a question that they can email you or do you want any contact or shall they just go through us and then we could forward? Oh, uh, it's better be through you. It's better be through you. And okay, uh, okay. if there will be some questions, I'll be ready to, I'll be glad to prepare the answers. Okay. Maybe we have another short talk, yeah. some QA. And now I'm awfully sorry. I have my grandson here with me, not showing him, just in case, for his own safety. I'm ready to meet whoever thinks uh, I'm wrong or I have insulted him somehow, even though I never meant to. But uh, it will be up to my grandson. Thank you to. Grows up to show that he is my kin and 
before he's uh, before that while he is young i'm not showing him anywhere <laughs> it's time to thank you to your family and uh, thank you everyone i think thank this would be time thank you so much to all the viewers do share this episode and if you have a question, go through Roy, go through Hartmut, to me. We will always respond to critical questions, okay? Have a pleasant day, and yeah, take care of yourself. Bye-bye. You do remember I'm waiting something from you. <laughs>